Good evening, everyone. God bless you. It's a blessing to be here. I've heard the hardest part about bringing a message is preparing the heart of the messenger. And there's a lot of truth to that. You know, God is working in each of our lives individually. He, he, he has a he has higher ground for all of us. And in order to get us there, um, we need to have prepared hearts as we heard in the opening. You know, a willingness to follow the leading of our Lord. So may the Lord be with us this evening. <clears throat> I think I would like to begin tonight with a little bit of a children's lesson. I know we have children here. And... Uh, Always like to make sure the children are getting something out of this. And uh, this is one of those lessons that I, I can just be a child myself because I marvel many times. I always appreciate when there's natural things can teach us a clear spiritual lesson. Jesus did that in the parables. He used natural things from everyday life. To teach spiritual lessons. And there's scriptures in the Bible even like, Doth not nature itself teach you? There's things from nature that just have lessons for us. And the scripture that Brother Elvin read the other evening from Hebrews, a description of the Word of God, that has always intrigued me uh, when it says that the Word of God is quick and powerful. And that quick there, as our brother made clear, it means alive. That there's life in it. It's not just a book. It, it's life. There's words of life there. And it's settled forever in heaven. And the, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner. I forget what he said that meant. But it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. What was that discerner word you had there, brother? Critical, Critical yes. It, 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 God brings to us a formula for higher ground. He critiques our life. It's a, the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God, and it brings us to higher ground. But the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and I've thought about that, and I've thought, you know, this is just a book, but a sword is a sharp tool. And I think when it says to put on the whole armor of God, it takes, we're supposed to take the sword of the Spirit. You know, the Word of God, the Spirit of God is, is like a sharp two-edged sword. And so I brought one of those this evening. I, I always wanted to see one of these, and so I asked my wife, I said, could you find me one of these? And she, she found this and got it. And I, I, I'm, I'm impressed. I, I really am. I, I like the, uh, I just like the reminder. That there. Of, of what this is. This, the, the Bible says that the, that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I, I think about that. I, I hold this thing in my hand and I think, 
You know, how do you handle a two-edged sword? Very carefully, right? I, I mean, how do we handle the Word of God? You know, and I, I just found myself having a deep respect for this thing when I have it in my hand. And I don't want to scare anyone here, especially the children. I'll be very careful with this thing. But this is... The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I was just thinking, you know, if I stand here like this, and I lift this thing in this position, and I give you a commandment, and I'm standing over you this way, and tell you what you need to do, you know, there, there, that creates a certain atmosphere. It, it creates an attention for obedience. But you know, if I lay this thing down, and I stand before you this way, and I just hold the Word of God open, and I begin to plead with you and give you a commandment here from the Word of God that also creates an atmosphere. But which of those two is the sharper, the more powerful presentation? We have to get in our mind that the Word of God is not as sharp as a two-edged sword. These aren't the same. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And that, that impresses me. Children, I... You can come up here and look at this thing afterwards if you'd like to. I'd like to just put it right down here and just leave it here while we preach just to remind us what the Word of God is when we preach from the Word of God. When we bring forth commandments from the Word of God, there's power behind this thing. We, we need to understand that God means what He says. And sometimes it seems like there's no judgment. It's just a matter of a choice whether you believe it or not. But there is a day of judgment coming. And I just want to encourage you children, when your parents read you a Bible story, when they teach you from the Word of God, it, it's a powerful message that you're getting. Let it soak into your heart. So may God have His way this evening. I was just thinking this evening... God is holy. God is just. He is so powerful. God is eternal. We can't comprehend the immensity, the intensity, the gentleness, the fullness of God. It's beyond us. And so that's the God that we worship. I have a subject that I'd like to bring this evening to think about, and it's a subject on a divided heart. And I was just thinking about how holy God is and how inappropriate it is that any of His followers would have a divided heart. Something less than everything turned toward our Father. He is so worthy. And yet the heart of man gets divided. I see it in my own heart sometimes. I see it in, in our home. I want to even consider our homes tonight just a little bit as we consider a divided heart. We don't want our heart to be divided. We don't want our homes to be divided. So I want to proceed here with a divided heart. I believe that this thing is a very big thing with God. And when something is a big thing with God, it should be a very big thing to us. It should get our attention. We should be very sensitive to something that is a big thing with God. God is so holy, God is so pure, that a divided heart, a divided offering, is not acceptable in any way with God. I want to impress us with that this evening. 
Any part of our heart that is turned affections another way other than God, that is unacceptable with God. God is holy. God is worthy. So I'd like to consider tonight what a divided heart is, where it will lead you, and some of the consequences that there are when we have a divided heart. It is very, very easy for man to justify a divided heart. And that's hard to believe, but it is. Man is very quick to justify a divided heart. And the reason is, is because there can be so much good in a divided heart. That's what a divided heart is. It's not all bad. There's a tremendous amount of good there. can be most of it good. But it is unacceptable in the sight of God when part of our heart is drawn to the things of this world or the fulfilling of the flesh or our agenda. And I, I don't want to say this judgmental so there's just no room to move and live our life in a normal way. But God has called us to holiness and a complete sacrifice. And so I trust that as we come across this evening, you'll understand our heart. We're trying to paint, you know, the very heart of God as we consider this subject. One of the burdens of my life, it's probably true with all of us, but is when I think about some of my friends in the past, some of my relatives, and I'm going to say some of my brethren, that I used to worship with. I mean, we used to worship together. We were one in heart. We had fellowship together. We sat at the communion table together and partook together of uh, the, the communion of the Lord. We walked together. There are brothers who encouraged me in the Lord when, when I was discouraged, literally lifted me up. They were above me. And Something happened somewhere back the road. This is very heavy with my heart. I look at some of those people today, and I'll just tell you, I I can't even believe it. I I really can't even understand how whatever it is happened, how it happened. I can't even figure it out. I, I I have friends now that are in the Air Force. More than one. Some are divorced. They, they refused to work out those relationships that we were talking about last night. With God, these things are possible. And if they're not divorced, some of their children are. And it seems like they bless that thing. It just amazes me. And immodest, this is the time of year we start getting some mail from friends and pictures of their families. And some of them, I, I can't even hardly look at. I, I marvel. How did they get all the way to this place? It's unbelievable to me. I ask myself, how did this happen? And I can't explain it, but that's part of the burden we have this evening. All I know is that it did happen. But you know something else? It's going to happen again. That's the very sobering part of this message because history repeats itself. It doesn't just come and go and then it's over. Is always repeating itself. And I think back the road, some of those people had something in their heart, some affection that didn't go toward God. It was drawn to the things of this world. 
And that thing was not brought into check. And, and I think at that point, if they could have seen the end of the journey that they were on at that point, they, they would have turned around in fear. But we can't always see that. That's part of the temptation of the devil, just a little bit at a time, a little bit, a little bit. And Paul said to the church at Ephesus, he said that I know that after my departing, he said, I know that there are grievous wolves that shall enter in among the flock. And really, that's not too surprising. We know those wolves are out there. But he went on and he said, even of yourselves. And I stopped when I read that. I thought, what does that mean? Even of yourselves. We know there's wolves out there that try to work their way in, but even of yourselves. I, I don't know what else that could mean, but that means some of us here. That, that means some of our families that are sitting right here tonight. 20 years down the road, somebody's going to be standing up here saying the same thing. How did this happen? So I don't know what's happening in each heart here this evening, but it's going to be some of our families. It's going to be some of our children. Could be some of our grandchildren. And so we have a burden this evening that our hearts would be pure, unreserved in worship to our Heavenly Father, we, we can't look 20 years down the road at this point, but we can look 20 years backwards. And I think that's part of the gift of a prophet. He can do that. He, he doesn't just get a word from God and tell the future. He knows history. He knows what's happened. He can give examples and, and, and put out a warning that way. And it should be very effective. I want to consider tonight, there are some other phrases similar to a divided heart one of them is a very scriptural phrase. It talks about a polluted offering. Now I want to say something about a polluted offering. You know, we just put our focus on the polluted and God sees that pollution. But the truth of the matter is, it is an offering. There's something in that hard heart, something in that heart that wants to bring an offering to God. There is some good there. But that good is polluted. And it's a polluted offering. And God says, I will not accept a polluted offering in any proportion. This is a very sobering message. That's what he said to Malachi. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand anymore. Because he said it was a polluted offering. That's a divided heart. Another phrase we hear sometimes is a mingled sacrifice. This is a tremendously serious thing with God because God loves a sacrifice. But He doesn't just automatically accept a sacrifice. Think about it. This has consequences down the road. You know, we can sit here tonight and say, no, I think everything's okay. But, but that's what the devil wants us to do is to take our focus off of those little things that begin to grow. It's just the little things that pollute at times. But that sacrifice has other things mixed in, mingled. And with a holy sacrifice, I believe it is a holy sacrifice that many people desire to bring. But another phrase that we hear is divided affection. You know what that means? That means part of your heart has affection 
toward the Lord God. It really does. But it also has some affection that is drawn to the things of this world. And those things sometimes seem a little bit harmless, but God is very, very jealous over them. I want you to think for just a minute about what the Holy Spirit said to the church at Laodicea. He talked about them being lukewarm, you remember. And lukewarm, there again, there's some good, pure, hot water in lukewarm water. But it has cold water mixed in. And you know, the Holy Spirit said a very amazing thing. He said, I, I, don't, I wish you were cold or hot. I wish you didn't have any hot water in there. And I think the burden is there so that you can see how wretched this thing really is. And, and, and God wants us to be hot, but he wants us to see our need. I would that thou wert cold or hot, but because thou art lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. A lukewarm, a mingled sacrifice, a polluted offering, a divided heart, God can't handle it. I will spew thee out of my mouth. And he, he spit out of his mouth some good things. That's very sobering to me. And, and the, the burden behind this message is when I think about some of those that I worshiped with and where they are today and the things that they have embraced and the things that they have done. I even have a friend that isn't even not a professing Christian anymore. Doesn't even believe for sure that there is a God. How did he get there? I mean, we had some good spiritual discussions. We did. <clears throat> so this message tonight, I believe, is not necessarily for all the people out there. It's for the people of God. Even among yourselves. It's for us right here because I don't want that to happen to anyone here. I don't. And I don't want that to happen to me. I look back the road and I see some things that were in my heart and I see how they could have gone the other way. And I tell you, I bow in reverence at the grace of God for drawing me back, for loving me enough to just bring me to my knees and on my face so that I could see my need. It's the keeping power of God. It's just being among those who are kept by the power of God. That's what we want for us. That's what we want for our children, it is. I think I would like to just start off this evening by drawing a heart right here. If you can see this, just want to draw a heart. And, and this heart, this heart's just, that's sometimes what we think about when we think of a divided heart. I mean, this part here is for God, but, but this part is for me. There are many people who have that attitude. They love to go to church. They love to hear the preaching of the word. They love to sing the hymns of Zion. But when they leave, I mean, there's just, you know, it's time for the football game. And this thing is not going to change. It's, it's not up for discussion. The door is closed. This is who I am. And, and, and God loves me as I am. And this part is protected. <clears throat> but sometimes... A divided heart is not all that obvious. Sometimes a divided heart is much less of it. Where God gets the far greater percentage. This person here is a good brother. He loves to go to church. But there is an area of his life that is his. 
I, I mean, this is me. And, and this is who I am. And, and there's some lack of separation from the world here. There's probably an independent spirit. But this kind of heart, this is a divided heart. This is also a divided heart. Neither one are acceptable with the God of heaven. And I'm going to draw another little heart up here just to make a point. You know, and this heart here just has this little area up here. Something being held back. Something being hidden. This, this, this brother is a, is a good brother. He is. He's a, he's a faithful soul. He has a clear testimony. He does love the Lord. I mean, he could even have some convictions. He, has a, he's a, he reads the word. He prays. He's a blessing to others by all appearance and by all reputation. This person has a clear heaven. But this person has something. Maybe even not a lot of things, but has something in their heart that they are holding back. And it, it, can, be, it can be something like lack of forgiveness. You know, that root of bitterness. The, the, some people just can't let go of that thing. They're just going to hang on to that thing because I've been mistreated. And I'm going to make sure that, uh, you know, that, that, that he don't get away with nothing. And you're kind of watching this thing. And, and that's, that can be in someone's heart. That's all this needs to be. But when it comes time to sing, when it comes time to pray, well, this brother can pray. It's just a blessing. It can also be just a little bit of independence. Just not willing to flow. Not willing to come under authority. Not willing to work on some of the things that we mentioned last night. I hope those things soaked into your heart. Those gentle, powerful things. Bring those into your home. Bring them into your church. Those things will be a blessing. If somebody just says, well, no, I'm not going to do that. They're just going to hold back in that area. That is a divided heart. But I'm going to draw another heart over here. And, and this heart, I'm just going to say, is pure. This heart is open. This, this fellow here, he, he's just, I mean, he's, he's, he's before God. He, he's, he's, his heart is clear. Everything is, that he is, everything that he has is this way. Before God. God has liberty to move in his life. It's a beautiful picture. His heart is free. He's surrendered everything. You know, he loves the Lord with all his heart and mind and soul and spirit. And I want to say tonight, what a blessed place to be. If we're there tonight, I want to encourage you to stay there. You know what? You can come back in 20 years and you can check up on this fella right here. And, and he's going to be right there. I, I mean, he's, he's right with God. He's not going to move. You come back. And check up on this fella in 20 years. You come back and check up on this fella's children. You look at this man's grandchildren in 20 years. And you're going to be just as shocked as I am. At some of the friends that, that I was referring to. And you know we probably all have our list don't we? People that we, we can't hardly believe where they have gotten to. So now I'd like to tell you the difference between this heart and this heart. They're pretty close. They, they, they look pretty close, don't they, right? At this particular point. I mean, this heart's clear. This heart's 99% clear, I'm just going to say. What's the difference? You know, just because this heart over here is 
clear, heaven is clear, and there's a liberty, God has room to move here. That doesn't mean that this soul is not going to be tempted. That doesn't mean that he's not going to ever make a mistake. You know, he's not going to sin or anything like that. That soul might sin. This soul over here, because of the situation, the pressures of life, whatever the situation is he might fall into, might commit a sin. That, you know, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. And that's, we know that there is sin in each of our lives. And when this heart sins, he actually may commit the same sin as this brother over here, uh, you know, this area that he's holding back. There's still a big difference between these two hearts and they have both sinned in the same area. I want to tell you what the difference is. When this heart sins, when this man whose heart is open before God commits a sin, I mean, he is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes down and I mean, this man, he's crushed. He can't believe he did this. I mean, he can't wait to confess. He can't wait to repent. He cries out to God. He asks for forgiveness. And, and we know our God is a, a, a forgiving God. When we're faithful and just to confess our sins, he forgives our sins. And so this, this heart becomes clear. Same sin. This one can't wait to get clear. But this one, the difference here is that this heart protects the sin. This heart is a divided heart. This heart loves the Lord, but it also has some affection. And I want you to know that this thing right here, need to hold this the right direction here, this is a big thing with God. Now if you can see that, I wrote big thing there. This little thing is a big thing with God. Because God wants our whole heart, does he not? God is jealous. I think the Old Testament says that God whose name is jealous. And, and we think of jealous as a bad thing, but with God it's a good thing because he is worthy. But this soul protects this thing. And, and there's a point where they want to look like this one. And so what they do then is they cover this thing up. They hide it. And when they do that, they're just inviting more sin into their life. Because when you cover this thing up, you don't confess it, you hide the thing, you make it look like it isn't there, you become a hypocrite. Then there's hypocrisy in your life as well. And this thing begins to snowpile, as the saying goes, snowball, and that is a divided heart. That is the difference between those two hearts. <clears throat> These three are divided hearts. The other heart is a pure heart. That is what we want. That is what is going to produce a godly seed. That's the man that's going to be here in 20 years. You know, if the Lord gives him life. Our desire, I want us to fear God tonight. That's our desire. I want us to be afraid of this kind of thing. I've had a fear of this in my life. And I don't want to paint a picture that we just run scared of the devil. That's not an accurate picture. But, but a godly fear, a reverent fear is a good thing. And I want us to understand that God does not accept. God doesn't accept a divided heart. It seems to be all through the scriptures. 
<clears throat> like Revelation says, God says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You know, man spits when he has something bitter in his mouth. I was just thinking about that. If I had a piece of chicken and some rice in my mouth, but with it is also a little pellet of rat poisoning, you know, I spit the whole thing out. The chicken and rice is good, but it goes out with the rat poisoning. That, that's the way God is here. You, lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The good goes out with it because God is a jealous God. <clears throat> Malachi 1 uh, verse 11 says that my name shall be great among the Gentiles in every place. Incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering. This is what God wants. The pure offering. Romans 12 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, all of it, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And that's what we want, something that is acceptable with God. Sometimes I think we forget how holy God is. We just think, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, so I'm accepted with God, but God is holy. Sometimes I wish we could get a vision. Sometimes I wish God would come down and reveal His holiness. But I tell you, we'd all die. We couldn't handle it. And it's not that God is going to just kill you know, someone if they happen to look on His glory. We just can't handle it. It's that glorious. He's that holy. And, and we need to get a hold of that. Verse 14 of Malachi says, Cursed be the deceiver. That's an interesting phrase. You know, this man here is trying to cover this thing up. And here's, here's a good word for that man or for us. If there's any of us here in this category, cursed be the deceiver that hath in his flock a male, a good, pure, clean male, and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. Cursed be the deceiver that tries to cover this thing up. Let's turn to Acts chapter 5. This is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And I don't want to read this whole chapter here, but I do want to take a look at Ananias' heart. I want to read about four verses here just to get a picture of how God looks at a heart like this. I want us to notice how this heart right here is probably very close to Ananias' heart. Um, we don't know, but it seems that would fit. It says here, but a certain man named Ananias... And Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. There are some phrases here, just three, that I'd like for you to look at in verse 2. One of them is uh, kept back part. That's what this thing is right here. They, they, they kept back part. They made it look like you know, they had given the whole thing. But they had kept back. So there was some hypocrisy here. 
Another part that it says here, but it says they brought a certain part. And, and I think this is the part that they brought. A huge part. The huge majority of it brought and laid it at the apostles' feet. I mean, they sold a possession. I think they laid a lot of money down there. It looked like it was all of it. And they laid it down there, but they had kept back part of it. And there's one other phrase here I want you to notice. It says, his wife also being privy to it. Private, secret, covered up. This thing, they, they covered that thing up. And, and so they kept back part. They brought a huge part, but they covered up part of it. And I want you to notice how Peter describes this heart to Ananias. In verse 3 he says, But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart? You know, he doesn't say, uh, Ananias, why did you let Satan have that little part, that little 1%? Why did you just give God 99%? It doesn't say that. It, and this is the way God sees a divided heart. This is very sobering to me. Ananias, why hast thou let Satan fill thine heart? All the good that was there was credited to the work of the devil because part of it was held back. That's, that's sobering to me. I, I'm trying to figure out how my friends got to where they got. And it's because God requires holiness. He wants a complete sacrifice. But it didn't start out by giving all of it. And that's the point that we want to make this evening. It started out by giving just a little bit. You'll find that in verse 4. Peter says, Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? It's almost like how much you held back wasn't the problem. How much you brought wasn't the problem. But you covered it up. And that was, that was what Ananias was doing. He was protecting this thing. I mean, he lied about it. He covered it up. He wasn't going to bring that thing out. That was the sin. But look how it happened. Middle of verse 4. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? <clears throat> Conception is a very, very, very small thing. And I think... That many of the times that we sat down and talked about the Lord with some of my friends in days gone by, there was something that was conceived in their heart. And, and it hadn't grown yet. But you know something about conception? <laughs> There's life there. And that thing begins to grow, no matter how small it is. When a, when a woman conceives, it, it's too small to see. It, it's too small to notice it doesn't show in her body. She's not even sick yet. I mean, at the time of conception, that thing is so small, but something has happened. And a child is being formed. And you give that thing enough time, that woman is going to bring forth. So there is a period of time between conception and bringing forth, but it's, it's a sure word. And we don't want to let the devil, why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? We don't want the enemy or the flesh to conceive anything in our heart because conception grows. It just does. You know, there's a scripture that talks about conception and bringing forth. I'd like to turn there. We'd like to just 
uh, flip through a few scriptures here. Turn to James. James chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 14 through 17. It goes like this. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then notice this in verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived. When lust hath conceived. That's little. It's not that big a problem. You know, the marriage hasn't split up yet, if you please. But when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth. It will bring forth. You give that thing time, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And I still love my friends. I still remember the good times. And I fear God for, for their future. And, and I'm not the judge, and I'm glad I'm not the judge. God is holy. He is righteous. He understands all things. I leave it in His hands. But I don't have a witness in my heart of peace on their behalf for all eternity. I would like to turn uh, to John. If you could just jump back and forth here just a little bit. This is so interesting to me. In John chapter 13, I want to show you just a couple of verses here. John chapter 13. This is before the feast of the Passover in verse 1. When Jesus knew that his hour was come, his disciples were gathered there. And having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And I want you to notice here in verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil. Now look at Judas's heart here. The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Just a little seed, a little thought. And I, I believe this was already here at this point. The devil had done this uh, prior to this, but the that's the way the devil works. He just put the devil put into the heart of Judas Iscariot. And I just want to stop there and challenge us. Youth, you know, parents... What is the devil trying to put in your heart? What little insignificant thing that you're not all that worried about can be a conception that will grow. Now I want you to look. That thing was put in his heart. <clears throat> now down in verse 26, Jesus just said, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And notice this in verse 27. After the sop... Satan entered into him. I want you to know tonight, I don't believe that Satan could have entered into him if he hadn't first put something into the heart of Judas Iscariot. He was just kind of getting his foot in the door, as the saying goes, and when the right opportunity comes, he entered into him. That's an amazing thing that that can happen. <clears throat> Matthew 25, you don't need to turn there, but it says every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every kingdom, not just every once in a while this happens, every kingdom that is divided. This is giving us an insight on what happens when our heart has a division. And it says every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Doesn't say it might not. Doesn't say it. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. It says it shall not stand. 
And notice there that it mentions our homes, brothers, heads of our homes. You know, that is one thing that is a burden to me, is when I see a home and the people living in the same house are drinking from different fountains. And I'm not talking about little things. I'm, I'm talking about things like music. You know, where the parents are, have their music and, and, and the, maybe the younger children have their music. And they're just drinking from different fountains. I'm talking about dress and some of these things that start showing up. You're getting your signals from different voices. And it doesn't come out right. It says in James, I think, it's just not right that from the same fountain you would get both sweet water and bitter. And it's not right that in the same home, you know, you would, you would have both sweet fountain and, and bitter. It's going to produce division in that house. And it says that every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. We need to drink from the same fountain. <clears throat> and I want to say again, I want to fear God tonight. In Acts chapter 5 there that we read there about Ananias and Sapphira, when that happened, it says great fear fell upon the whole church. It, it actually, because of this thing, it, it says great fear, says it twice. Great fear because of how God deals with this thing right here. And, and you know, I, it's, it's hard to bring a message like this because it seems that God has backed off and in our day and age is more patient than He was there in the heat of the early church in this transformation, the birth of the church. I mean, I don't know anybody that fell over dead because they kept back a little bit of, of price or, or, or told a lie like Ananias and Sapphira did. And there's a proverb that says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, it says, therefore, the heart, the heart, there it is, of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And we don't, I don't want to be deceived this evening. God hasn't changed his opinion about a divided heart. It is no different today than it was with Ananias and Sapphira. His judgment came immediately, but ours is coming. It's the same judgment. And, and it's, a, it's a condemnation. It, it's... Hard to understand, but it, it doesn't look good. God is not pleased. God does not accept a divided heart. <clears throat> you know, I, I'm sharing some of these messages. Uh, we rejoice in the Lord. We don't just always look for <laughs> problems everywhere we turn. But sometimes we have to deal with these things. God is good. We put our faith in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the doctrine of imputation where Christ just puts his righteousness to our account. I'll never forget when I got a hold of that thing and it just about changed my life. It was almost like being born again when I got a hold of that thing. But the truth of the matter is for all of these beautiful principles of God, I don't want the enemy to take them away. I don't want him to put something in our heart that brings them to naught. I want these things to build up. I was reading some a while back about the Niagara River. We've been to the Niagara Falls, and I, I like waterfalls. And we were there, and I was just reading about this one. That's a marvelous falls. And it's interesting to read about up above the Niagara Falls. Uh, I, I'm just kind of interested in things like, 
you know, what, what are the people doing up top? You know, is everybody being careful enough up there? And usually on a major river, at least, above a falls, there's some point where there's a sign uh, where you're not allowed to go beyond this sign. I think it's usually called the point of no return. And, and what that sign says, uh, what the sign means is, it's not safe if you cross this line. You're, you're still okay right here. And I was just wondering where that was at on the river above the Niagara Falls. And I was just reading it. I thought, I imagine that sign's a good ways back, you know, probably a good half a mile or something. You know, I mean, they're, they're not going to just let people get up there right to the last 500 feet, you know, and you best be swimming. I mean, that thing is probably up there a good ways. And I read and I, I was amazed. The point of no return was not a half a mile. It was not a mile. It was not a mile and a half. It was not two miles. It was not two and a half miles. It was three miles. Three miles up the river. And I thought, now somebody's trying to really play it safe. Three miles, that's a long ways. That's a long ways up a river. Nobody in the river in that section. And then I got to reading why that sign was up there. And that was very touching to me. The reason it was up there is because the river was coming down the Niagara River. It was deep. The water was moving slow. It was a safe place for boats to be. And there was a lot of activity there. And just right beyond that depth of that river was the point of no return. And, and it's because the depthness of the river, it just got shallow. All of a sudden, it got shallow. And it got wide. You know, and water that's deep moves very, very slow. It's not like, it's like there's not much current. But when all of a sudden that shale down there brings the river shallow, the water begins to move. There's a tremendous current sets in. And as the river got wider and the current got faster and that shale came up, it said that the shale knocks the props out from under a boat and it takes their engine out and they have no power when they go beyond the point of no return. And I just thought, that's really interesting. If the deep, deep part of the river had gone down to two miles in front of the falls, that's probably where the sign would have been. But the enemy doesn't want us to know those things. He just wants us to think that everything is fine. But the truth of the matter is, we don't know everything that's ahead. We don't know that that shale comes up and gets shallow. We don't know that it's going to knock the props out from under our boat. We don't know that the current is all of a sudden going to be three times as fast. The devil doesn't want us to know that. When he puts something in our heart, when he puts something in the hearts of our children, he wants us to be in a position where it's too late. We cross the point of no return. And I'm just putting this out as a warning. I'm not putting this out as a, you know, be just live in fear for the rest of your life, but have a deep respect for the call of God upon our hearts to be clear that everything would be open before God. I mean, this fellow here, you know, I mean, he's got God in his conscience. You know, he, 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 can't, he can't live with himself when he sins. He, he's got to get clear. This is the call of God upon our hearts. We need protection. There's some shallow uh, shale up ahead of where we are. And, and when our children hit that, hey, we're in danger. That's why we're sharing these, these points. Now I want to spend just a little bit of time here and give you some very uh, practical words here about how the devil tries to put something in our heart. Some conception 
that will grow. Something that will get a hold of us. And you know what the devil likes to work with? He likes to work with our flesh. They're a wonderful team, I tell you. I don't mean wonderful, I mean bad. But they're a good team. They work together very well, is what I mean. When the devil works through the lust of the flesh, it's just amazing. We read that in, in James. You know, that we are tempted when we're drawn away of our own lusts and enticed. And the devil's right there to feed that lust. And right there is where lust is conceived and bringeth forth sin. We need to be careful of those things. The first thing that I want to mention tonight is just covetousness and riches. That is a danger zone. Really, that's what got Ananias and Sapphira, isn't it? Covetousness and riches. He got them. And I know that's very significant to us because we live in America. But what does the scripture say? I would like to turn. Why don't we just all turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. There's just some wonderful verses here to understand God's heart of the dangers of, of riches. 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's verses 9 through 11. This is kind of a 9-11 passage here. <clears throat> it says, 1 Timothy 6, chapter, uh, 6, verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Look what happens. <laughs> They've erred from the faith. And this is, starts off just making a living. But then there's something that is just planted. Oh, the devil sees that, sees that desire of the flesh and he sticks in there, you know, Way beyond making a living. And it can be conceived and grow into erring from the faith. That, that, that alarms me. I feel like some of my friends fell into this one. And pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness and so forth. If we are men of God, we're commanded in scriptures to flee what does flee mean? You know, I was just curious. I just thought I'm just going to look that up. And it said <clears throat> to run to escape. And I was just thinking to escape. You know, escape means there's danger. That's what escape means. It means you run because there's danger here. But thou, O man of God, run because there's danger here. That's a good word. <clears throat> Another thing that I want to mention, I do want to mention music. Because people love their music. <clears throat> music has a spirit that goes with it, does it not? And I, I'm going to share with you what, what I heard John D. Martin say one time. I really appreciated it. He said, music is fellowship. He said, the music that you listen to and the music that you play, you are having fellowship with the writer and the one who wrote the song and the one who sings the song. There's fellowship there. There's a spirit there. There's a connection there. And when we're singing the songs of Zion, when we're singing the songs of, of the martyrs, I'm going to say, you know, am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And would I fear to own His cause or blush to speak His name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought? to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. Sure, I must fight 
If I would reign, increase my courage, Lord. I mean, when we're singing those songs, we're having some fellowship with the martyrs. We're having some fellowship with our forefathers. I mean, there's a strength that we gain from that thing. But I tell you tonight, when we sing the songs, when our children sing the songs of some of these contemporary artists, it's amazing what kind of fellowship they're having with. I tell you, some of those singers, they're divorced. They don't work things out in a godly way. And if you could watch those people when they do a performance and a show, and if you could watch the lights flash, and if you could watch their body movements, and if you could see their immodesty in some of their presentations as they sing this song, I mean, it doesn't sound that bad sometimes on a CD, but if you could see the fellowship that is created, the connection that is made between our children and that kind of heresy, I tell you, that music becomes dangerous. It does. If you could see the emphasis those contemporary artists put on copyrights, it would shock us. The, the martyrs didn't know anything about copyrights. They didn't care anything about copyrights. They were singing about their God. They were sailing through bloody seas. They were taking up the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of these contemporary artists are more interested in the copyright than they are in the cross. It's a good word. I think we need to have, be careful who we have fellowship with and who we let into our homes to sing to our children. <clears throat> I'm saying this because I want to encourage you. If your fellowship here wants to draw some lines on certain groups of singers that it's better to not listen to, if they want to draw some lines and say, I think it's better if just, we just leave those singers out of our homes. You know, if we say that, there's some people who say, you know, you just went too far. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you who's going to go too far. It's the people that don't have that kind of restraint. They're the ones that are going to go too far. And in 20 years, you're going to come back and you're just going to marvel you know, I had a, I had a dear brother, <clears throat> loves the Lord dearly, and there came a time, I had a good family, and there came, came a time when one of his sons just walked away from God, just said, I'm done. And, and we all marveled. We like, there again, I couldn't figure it out. I said, what is the deal? How did this happen? And, and I, I loved him enough, and I wasn't trying to be nosy, but I went to this brother, the father of this boy, and he was about probably 18. And I just said, brother, we love you. We love your family. But I heard about your son and some of the choices he's make, made and making. And I just said, I can't figure it out. It doesn't make sense to me. I said, could you help me? How did this happen? And you know what he said? He said, obviously, I've tried to figure this out. And he said, what I think happened is my son was drawn to some wrong music and I gave him too much liberty and he took it too far. And the fellowship that he got with that music changed his outlook even toward God. That's very sobering to me. Very sobering. <clears throat> 
I just want to encourage us as you work through things here and, and even in a home. This doesn't have to happen in the church. But youth, if, if your father's not comfortable with your music, go through the locks and get on his level and learn how to hear from God through him. It's not too much. It's God. That's the way God works. <clears throat> Another thing that I want to mention, I mentioned covetousness. I mentioned riches. I mentioned music. I want to mention websites, social media, books, entertainment. You know what? There's people <clears throat> that do love the Lord. They really do love the Lord. But, but this much is for media. <laughs> That's just where we're at today. And it's a devastating thing. You know, is media a gift from God? Is that God's gift to us in these latter days to draw us closer to Him and make our family unit just a little bit tighter? Is this God's way of working into our homes? I just think, I just want to encourage us, you know, if you work through things as a fellowship or as a family, make a careful decision here. And if somebody comes up with a decision that maybe isn't exactly where you draw the line, which is probably going to happen, you know, everybody doesn't just draw the line at the same place. I'm just saying, I just want to encourage you, have some respect in your heart. It's not because they're trying to be ornery, it's because they understand that God does not accept a divided heart. And those things turn into dividing a heart. When they start, they might be little, but those things get big. Those things will divide churches. They'll divide homes. And, and we are wise to rise up and just kind of break our heart before each other. I, I'm going to speak here for just a moment as a father, but I'm going to speak as a pastor as well. There's some sayings that I like. It is better to be safe than sorry. Think about that point of no return on the river. I see no sense whatever in swimming as close as you possibly can and still be safe above the falls. That, that makes no sense to me, whatever. Why don't you just, there's other swimming holes on up there, and, and I'm not one who pushes swimming, but I'm just using that for an illustration. You don't have to swim that close to the falls. Get up there where it's safe. You don't have to listen to that song. You don't have to listen to that group. You absolutely don't have to. You might think you do. There's a little period of time here you're going to go through probably. And that song will be in your mind. You've got to get rid of it. But let me tell you, you'll be blessed to just lay the thing down. It is better to be safe than sorry. There's a proverb. I can't really quote it right now. But it says something about that it may be well with thee in the latter end. That's a good word. I don't see any sense in monkeying with uh, danger. When God comes down and lays the responsibility of children upon the heart of a father, he doesn't think quite as dangerous for his children as he might have when he was just a child at home. You start to think just a little bit different. You start to watch, you know, you watch out for the safety of that child that you weren't really watching for when you were young. And, and it's even magnified more in the capacity of a pastor when God 
says that you're going to give account for this flock or something in that capacity, you, you begin to think different than just seeing what you can get away with. It is better to be safe than sorry. It's better. It really is better. And I want to impress that upon us. And when it's better safe than sorry, then you've got to make a practical application to that in your music, in your finances, in your website, you know, your social media and all of those things. It's good to be safe. Safe is a good thing. Be careful. And I think about DVDs and some of those things, and I'm, I'm not an extreme person. It's not like I would just never, ever watch a DVD, but I'll tell you one thing I do watch for. I watch for an appetite for those things. People develop an appetite, and you know what happens when somebody gets an appetite for watching a DVD? They don't want to quit. They lose their discernment of, of where the blessing is and, and where the danger is. And they'll just cross that line because they're so hungry. They, they have an appetite. Be careful. Watch out for an appetite. Don't let an appetite for these things, these websites and all of this social media and connection. Someone who has an appetite for those things, don't let them set the lines. That's not wisdom. Let, one, let, let, let the voice of the brothers come together with carefulness. You know, those who have an appetite need to be admonished. That's just the way it is. And so may God give grace in these areas. <clears throat> Reputation and pride. Boy, you know, pride, the devil just likes to stick those things in there, and we kind of protect that thing. I, I want to I just read to you, and you don't need to turn here, but in 1 Samuel, King Saul was such a... a Beautiful example of a man who, when he was little in his own eyes, God blessed him. And I want to read here just three verses. Uh, in Samuel was speaking to Saul and he told him, he said, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. That's a blessing. We want that. And thou shalt prophesy with the prophets. Well, that's good company. And thou shalt be turned into another man. I mean, God was just pouring His grace on Saul. And Samuel said, And let it be when these signs are come upon thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. I mean, he was just saying, God's going to bless you in all that you do. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart. <laughs> Look at the blessing of God upon Saul. It's just amazing. And all those signs came to pass that day. Now Saul's heart, the devil put something in here, somewhere. And that thing began to grow. And it got bigger until it consumed Saul when he was so obsessed with himself. He, could, he had no respect for God's choice anymore. It was going to be Mr. King Saul. I mean, that's, that's the way he thought. And what was the end of King Saul? God just departed from him. He, he just left him. God fought against him. And Saul rose up. He tried to hunt down the anointed uh, David. He, he slew all the priests of the Lord. He ended up in the house of the witch of Endor. And then he died. What a sad end. You know, there could be friends of Saul who loved the Lord and said, What happened to Saul? How did he get? 
How did he slay all the prophets of the Lord? I mean, Saul was a good man, the son of Kish. How did he get there? Because the devil put something in Saul's heart that his flesh received, and it was conceived, and it grew, and it brought forth sin, and it destroyed Saul. But even among yourselves, Paul said to the Ephesian church, this is going to happen. So I just want to put this here. I don't want this to happen. And the way this isn't going to happen is when you come together and you have respect for the working of God and the moving of God among yourselves to make, and I'm not telling you where to draw these lines. I'm just telling you it's better safe than sorry. You know, and, and don't make that line just as close to dangerous as you can and still be safe. I mean, that's just not a good place to draw the line. You know, maybe the shale gets shallow just a little bit before that. We don't realize it. There, there's dangers. Just keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself with a pure heart. This way. <clears throat> I want to mention just one more here. Time's getting away. But I want to mention just the appearance, fads and fashions, modesty, a cool spirit, a casual spirit. I just want to say a few things about that. I, I say this sometimes, but this is a very, very big thing with me because I think it's a big thing with God. The Bible makes it very clear that God wanted a place to dwell in the Old Testament. Where did He dwell? He dwelled in the temple of God. He had Solomon build the temple. He, he told Moses how to build it, and Solomon built it. <clears throat> you study the temple of God, and you'll find that in the temple of God, in the holy temple, that is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. That's where the mercy seat was. This is where God wanted to dwell. That's where the veil of the temple was. That's where the holiest of holies was with the cherubims and seraphims. This is where God revealed His glory in His temple, the Shekinah glory that filled the temple. And God is jealous over His glory. He's jealous over His holiness. He's jealous over His dwelling place. And that temple right there, the house of God, that's the one thing that Jesus Christ, when He was here, was so jealous over. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ, the meek and lowly Lamb, you know, the, a bruised reed He would not break, smoking flax He would not quench, but when it came to His Father's temple, He made Him a whip. You know, of, of cords that he, he whipped those people. I mean, he, he overturned the money changers and he drove them out. I mean, he really got, I'm going to say, violent. And what did he say? Why did he do this? He said, because the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. That's what Jesus said. I, he was eaten up with zeal for his father's house, the temple of God. And that's a marvelous thing. That was the Old Testament temple. And there's some things that change from the Old Testament to the New T Testament. And, and the temple of God is one of them. In the Old Testament, it was that temple, a physical building. But in the New Testament, what is it? It's our body. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the living God, which is in you? I mean, it, it's us. We are the temple of God, and sometimes we forget that. <clears throat> And we say that it doesn't matter how you dress. It doesn't matter what you look like. It's what's on the inside that counts. That's all that matters. But I want you to know tonight 
that when you dress your body with clothes, we all do that. When you dress your body with clothes, you are dressing the temple of God. Think about it. That's as New Testament sound doctrine as you can get. And the temple of God in tight clothing, revealing, it can't be. The temple of God with earphones walking down the street, you know, just to the beat of the music of this world, it cannot be. It can't be. The temple of God going to places of entertainment of this world, we don't go there. Our body doesn't belong there. Our body is the temple of God. Our body, you know, with our hair cut and clothes after the fads and fashions of this world so that you look like the world, dressing up the temple of God like this world, it, it can't be. Think about it. It's not too much that we would try to encourage modest clothing, looser, looser clothing. No fads and fashions. I realize some of the fads and fashions aren't immodest, but it's the wrong voice. It's drinking from the wrong fountain. It is. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. <laughs> That's New Testament doctrine. If you defile the temple of God, how do you defile your body? According to God, what would God say? Doesn't it have something to do with your appearance? I think it does. <clears throat> I want to close. Let's just read together. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll just read there verse 14. We'll begin in verse 14. And read through this passage here that speaks of a divided, <clears throat> divided heart. And what God says that we should do. And we'll end up with chapter 7 verse 1. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God, <laughs> there it is. We're the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them. We need to have our appearance accordingly so that it looks like God dwells within us. Not the spirit of lust. I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. It just sounds like there's a condition here that we need to you know, pay attention to so that our heart is an acceptable offering unto the Lord. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There's that great fear 
that fell on the whole church in Acts 5. Perfecting holiness. Our God is holy. We, we want to bring whatever of His holiness we can to manifest it forth from our life, not only in how we dress, I'm not saying that's all there is, not only the music that we listen to, the gentleness of our speech, the places we go, the things that we say, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's just a marvelous thing. God wants everything. Have you ever thought about that? Bringing into captivity every thought, isn't that just a little bit much? No, it's not. God is worthy. And, and I want to encourage us, whatever you do in your homes, whatever you do in your marriages, whatever you do in your fellowship here, and, and I know that we're all working with this. This is something that we're, we struggle. All the churches around us are struggling with this. How do, we, how do we bring this thing back and bring it together so that God has liberty to move in our midst? We, we work on it in North Carolina. I know you work on it here. We, we're working on it everywhere. But let's work on it together. You know, and, and it's just amazing the impact that we do have on each other. You know, if, we, if I go back home to North Carolina and, you know, the word gets out there, you know, the brothers in uh, Iowa, they got together and they decided that it's fine to have, you know, Facebook. And so my, my children come to me and they say, Dad, I mean, where, where, where are you at? I mean, come on with the program. We do affect each other. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so let's, let's have respect for the influence that we have upon each other. And let's, let's open our hearts so that God has room to move in our heart. God is willing. I know that He is. But God's not going to come down here and say, well, hey, it doesn't really matter, just as long as uh, you, know, you have a testimony and everything's fine. That's not what God is going to say. God is holy. We would be shocked, probably, at what God would say is good for us and what we can handle. But we can handle it. It's just a choice that we make. So I want to encourage us that way. That's the burden of the message this evening. When we come back in 20 years, we, want to, we just want to be here praising God. And, and we can do that when there's convictions in our heart and, and when we work things out together. I have a song I'd like to sing. I don't have a book up here. 366. We'll close with this number. <clears throat> Fully surrendered. Fully means every part. Let's give it all to the Lord. <clears throat> Why don't we stand before the Lord and sing? Then we'll have a word of prayer. 